Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. But be doers of the word, and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves, and on going away, immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Tyler. Nice work. Thank you, Tamara and team. So we start a new mini-series within a series today. We've been through the book of Ephesians and loved every second of it. And um, now we start another short series. It'll be a little bit shorter through the book of James, uh, a different kind of book, although you'll be happy to hear that it seems that the author of the book of James and the author of the book of Ephesians agree. That's a good thing, right? When they agree about some pretty important things, and they do. But James is going to make a, a real important point, and the, the, the sermons will try to reinforce this point, and here's the point. There is a difference between believing something with your head and believing something with your body. Make sense? There's a difference between believing something with your head and believing something with your body. To demonstrate this difference, I have compiled a list of topics about which I have opinions. Now, what's going to be fun about this exercise is I'm not going to tell you what this opinion is. I'm actually going to leave it to you to determine what this opinion might be. And I perhaps would be interested in sharing this opinion with you if you were to buy me coffee or ice cream or both. I might be interested in. But here are a list of, of topics about which I have opinions. You ready? Bigfoot. Yeah, just going to kind of let you work through what that might be. Extraterrestrial life. Zombies, TV shows about zombies, Wakanda, amen, Ireland, youth sports, basketball referees, Sooner football, Longhorn football, liver and onions, pizza, super twangy country music, the Book of Revelation, the Book of Mormon, global poverty, criminal justice reform in Oklahoma, hospitality, disagreeing Christianly, and the resurrection. Now I could, we could be here for 30 minutes, right? And I could just make this entire sermon a listing of all of these topics about which I have opinions, beliefs even, beliefs. But there's a difference between believing something with my head and believing something with my body. Some of the beliefs mentioned above don't amount to anything more than ridiculous opinions. 
Those beliefs don't necessarily shape how I live, where I go, and what posture I take in my hour-to-hour life, but hopefully. You know some things about me and what I believe deeply. Hopefully my life tells you that some of the beliefs mentioned above have moved into the rest of my entire body and my life such that they are, in fact, embodied. Embodied. That's what we mean by the word faith. That's what we mean by the word faith. Perhaps your brain is where you keep your facts, your trivia, maybe even some of your beliefs. But the book of James insists that faith is to be carried out by your body. The book of James insists that faith be carried out by your body. Just fair warning, I have some idea of the texts and the sermons that are coming. And you probably, me too, we probably all need to wear those shoes that you wear when you're afraid someone's going to step on your toes. The book of James uh, makes no apology about being willing to step on the toes of people who say they believe, but who end up believing because they can articulate a certain phrase, or they can articulate a certain sort of, I don't know, a theological idea. And James is going to say, it just does not matter if you can perfectly articulate a theological idea if your hands don't do the thing. And some of us will leave over the next couple of weeks, and your pastor included, some of us will leave the sanctuary saying, aiming at me. There he goes again, aiming at me. Maybe. Maybe. Is it possible that the church needs to hear something along these lines? Hey, can you stop just believing these things and start faithing them? That is an interesting word, faith. It's actually interesting in the original language, this word faith. Because what you may hear and receive as a noun, Scripture often uses as a verb. You actually, according to Scripture and according to the original languages, you actually faith the faith. And the book of James is going to ask us week after week after week, are you faithing the faith? Sounds like I have a terrible speech impediment, but hear me. (laughs) Are you faithing this faith? And, right along with it, it's going to say, if you are not faithing this faith, if you just believe your beliefs, but they don't end up with you faithing the faith, then you don't believe your beliefs. I'm grateful for any man, amens I get in the rest of this entire series. James, a servant of God, is writing to all of these people, these, we think, Jewish Christians in the dispersion, or else they are, in other words, they are scattered throughout all of creation, and he is trying to write this letter, trying to bring everybody back to some semblance of the same page. Now, this James character, we do not think this is James, the brother of John, in other words, one of the disciples. There is great evidence that this James is the brother of Jesus. Isn't that interesting? The brother of Jesus who would have had opportunity, perhaps multiple opportunities, to see right up and personally the ramifications when you faith 
the faith. Right? Right up close and personally, he would have been able to see the ramifications. What happens when you faith the faith? There's also a story that circulates out there that perhaps Jesus made a special trip post-resurrection to go see James. And to communicate to James what then would need to be communicated to the church, maybe the book of James, which by the way was one of the last books finally allowed into the canon of scripture for some reason. (laughs) One of the last books allowed. Maybe this is why this book had to be written. Perhaps what James is saying is what he heard from his brother. Brother. (laughs) To all of these believers out there who have any interest in claiming any part of this faith, who want to be identified with this faith, we have to have a discussion on what it means to be a people of faith. Now they are all over the place, which means that they are trying to practice their Christianity in all different sorts of contexts, which means that they are all up against some other competing culture which is trying to push and manipulate and carve out faith so that it looks different, right? And James is saying, okay, I understand that things are gonna bubble to the surface contextually based on where you live, but there are some things that we need to agree on that need to be true about faith no matter where you live. You have to faith this faith no matter where you live. Even if you live in 2018, somewhere in the greater Oklahoma City metropolitan area, no matter where you work, in the energy industry, in the legal industry, in the education industry, in the medical, in the ministry industry, I hate that term. No matter where you work, we must all be faithing the faith in similar ways. Must be. No matter what skin color you have, no matter what party you choose, no matter your socioeconomic level, there must be some ways that we can be distinguished as the people of God, distinguishable because we faith the faith in certain sorts of ways. So far, so good? Okay. And so, these very interesting things are said in this book. I'm going to back up a little bit. Verse 13. No one, when tempted, should say, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But one is tempted by one's own desire, being lured and enticed by it. Then, when that desire has conceived, hear this, it gives birth to sin. And that sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my beloved And then he starts to, this is where I I enjoy the the resonance that this author has with the book of Ephesians. If you'll remember, if you'll allow me, I want to go back through all the sermons of the book of Ephesians. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. But I want to tell you a little bit about what I hold most dear as it has to do with the book of Ephesians. It was a picture as large as the author could paint. Because if you remember, this is what was said right up front in the book of Ephesians. God has changed everything in and through Christ. God has changed everything and kicked off the beginning of the end of all things in a good sort of way, in a way that is worth celebrating, in a way that's worth singing about each week. God has kicked off the end of all things. And by the way, the end of all things is Jesus. And now we are a community of Jesus, otherwise known as the body of Christ, living in the light of the resurrection, probably looking pretty odd to people who are still living as if Christ had not come and died and, raised, and was raised again. 
But we live in the light of that resurrection because we are playing a particular role as we help to move all of creation toward God's dreams for recovery and restoration and redemption. And I really hope that this is a good place where all God's people say, that's that's all right, that's all right. And James said here in verse 17, yeah, every generous, generous act of giving and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. We are an indication, the church is, the church is supposed to be an indication of where all of it is headed. We are something of an indication of where everything is headed. And we are those people, not by our own strengths and merits, but we are those people because we have been given this gift of Christ, birth, life, ministry, death, and resurrection. We've been given this gift of the Spirit, which enables us to be the body of Christ. Having been given this gift, James asked now to all these people all over creation, including us, what are you doing with this gift? It is not enough just to know that you have been given a gift. What you must be doing, says James, you must now be making good use of your gift of grace. I am... uh, really enjoying this, this group. And again, if you're available, if your schedule is flexible, and I know not everyone's is, on Fridays there's a group of men who meet back here and we're reading a book by James Smith. And this book is entitled, You Are What You Love. And James Smith says this about us, kind of what I've just said earlier. We are not merely brains on a stick. And we aren't made more Christian just because you put good facts into that brain on a stick. We are human beings that are rehearsed toward a particular posture. In other words, this is what he says, we are all embodying one faith system or another. It may be that you go to church, but you embody a different faith system altogether. Because on a regular basis, on a regular basis, you are being rehearsed and practiced into a different faith system altogether. Really? Which one could you be talking about? What materialism, maybe. Maybe it's a self-oriented sort of religion, and you are the center of your universe, and your every movement seems to just substantiate the fact that you are your own God. Maybe it's something to do with your political leanings. Whatever they may be, I really don't care what they are. I would caution us that sometimes your political leanings feel like that they're your religious beliefs and they're not. And sometimes, sometimes we find that we are being regularly rehearsed, regularly practiced in some theology, in some kingdom, but it's not necessarily the kingdom of the crucified and raised Messiah. And so James Smith says, so we gather every week, we gather every week, 
And we gather to rehearse these steps one after another, one after another, until over a period of time. And now I want you to be thinking again of the movie, the newest creation of the Karate Kid, right? We do these things with our bodies week after week after week. And in addition to the facts that we are absorbing with our brains, our bodies are being rehearsed into different kinds of postures. Yeah, worship is like that. And that's how we get to the place where we can more regularly embody this particular kind of kingdom. In other words, again, this is what James is going to say to us week after week after week. People, it is not enough to tightly hold to particular opinions if your body is not embodying those opinions. The world needs less of people who would say, man, poor people should have more resources and should be fed if those same people aren't going to feed poor people. The world needs fewer Christians who will say, man, Christians should be, should be peacekeepers and peacemakers if you at the very same time on Facebook are not gonna be peaceful. The world needs fewer people to espouse Christian beliefs with their mouths and more people who espouse Christian beliefs with their bodies, with their hands, with their feet, with their hearts. So what does this look like? Just in basic sorts of ways, we're gonna hear about this over the next several weeks. But today, here's what this looks like. Okay, if we're going to be Christ-shaped, Christ-styled people, you have to know this. You should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Because your anger is not gonna help if what we're after is God's righteousness or God's relatedness one to another. Let's just stop right there for a minute. Let's go back to Facebook, okay? The anger that you would espouse on Facebook counts. It counts. No matter what side of any argument you're taking, whatever it is that you are conveying on Facebook and how you go about conveying these opinions on Facebook, it all counts. It counts. I'm telling you, God cares how we argue. God cares about what angers us. God cares that we would be known, known as people, Christian people, known as people who are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Therefore, rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. Oh, it's unbelievable imagery here. The implanted word. Everything having to do with faith has the long-term view in mind. Everything having to do with faith has a long-term view in mind. And that means a couple of things. It means God is patient and you're supposed to show up and help. It's both. Soapbox warning. (laughs) 
1995, I used a book as a textbook in the gen ed classes I was teaching. It was called A Peculiar People by Rodney Clapp. Great book, great book. I still have it. I keep it close to my left hand. I mean, it's all marked up. I've just used it throughout the years. In 1995, 1995 book written by Rodney Clapp says that regular church attendance had been redefined from four Sundays out of Sundays to two Sundays out of Sundays. That was in 1995. You just elbowed your neighbor and said, he's about to go off on church attendance. Yes, I am. (laughs) Now it's less than two Sundays a month. There are people who will come one or fewer Sundays a month and still refer to themselves as regular attenders of church. Here's what that means. Here's what that means. They believe somehow that we are brains on a stick. And they can come once a month and get the facts that they need to fund their brains on a stick. Like once a month, once every six weeks, I can get just enough to keep my brain Christian. But we are not brains on a stick. We are people who are formed by our habits. And I am telling you, I need it. My suspicion is that you need it. The weekly rhythms of faith that slowly but surely reshape us so that we can then be aware that God's mind about us is made up and the news is good. And if you are not here on a regular, let's not be legalistic about it. I know sometimes you need to get away and take a deep breath. I get that, right? But the prohibitive majority of the time, I will say right out loud and be held accountable for it, you should be in church on Sunday. Because we are doing things every week. We are rehearsing the dance steps of faith that without these dance steps of faith, you will not know the dance steps of faith. Not with your bodies. Not with your bodies. The world is changed. Not by brains on a stick, but by bodies. And something happens when you are here week after week. In fact, in fact, church, hear me. There is a cumulative effect to you being here week after week after week. If you don't believe it, watch Karate Kid. Hopefully you know what I'm talking about. How about this? Your doctor says, Man, I am concerned about you. Your heart tells me you better get in shape. You need to get to the gym. You need to get to the gym. You say to the doctor, oh, I know how this works. I'm going to go to the gym at least once a month. That should do it. Once a month should do it. In fact, I think I can do this going to the gym once every six weeks or so. That patient is risking death in the same way that the believer who desperately needs, and I'm talking about myself, the rehab of Christian practices risks death by undervaluing those same Christian practices. The implanted word has the power to save your souls. Yes, God's mind about you is made up in the news is good. The problem is you may not know it how you need to know it if you don't show up to find out about it. You can't just hear these things. Not just one time, you have to hear them over and over and over again. You do recognize, right, that seeds become little, whatever these are, sprouts. 
Be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. We use some forest terminology to describe what's going on around here. And, and I'm, I'm, I love these phrases, and maybe we should do more to kind of canonize these phrases around here. You are a tree in a story about a forest. In other words, faith is not just about you and what God is doing in and through you. Faith is about what God is doing through the people of God. You're a tree, a very important tree in a story that's not about the tree. It's about the forest. And we say this too. Around here, our hope is to provide an environment within which acorns become oak trees. That takes a long time. And it's more it deserves more. It's more important than you understand if you're giving it an hour a month. So how often should I come, Pastor? You should come often enough to break a bad habit and remake a good one. And anything that prohibits you from coming often enough to break a bad habit and to recreate a good one is an idol. The product of an alternative kingdom. Anything. Yeah, my family, we just need to get away three times out of the four. It's just good for us as a family. No, it's not. God knows better than you do what your family needs. <laughs> well, my business is not going to work itself. And by the way, Pastor, I give. So you want me gone three Sundays out of four because I come back and I... We'll be fine if you'll come four Sundays out of four. And by the way, you will be too. You see, hearers deceive themselves. They deceive themselves into thinking that they are just brains on a stick. We're not brains on a stick. We're bodies that think and feel and learn and move and grow. We're more than brains on a stick. If any are hearers of the word and are not doers, then they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror. They look at themselves and on going away, immediately forget what they were like. There is a real sense in which when you come here, what we do is we hold up a mirror for all of us. And sometimes it's terrifying, right? Have you ever been here on an Ash Wednesday? <laughs> the whole season of Lent seems like it's a painful, painful reminder. And someone's always holding up a mirror and saying, this is who you aren't. <laughs> this is what you have to work on. You've got to figure this thing out. Here's what we don't want you to do. We do not want you to forget what you've seen in that mirror, no matter how bad the news is. I'm telling you, there'll be a lot of Sundays when we'll all leave, me included, feeling like we have one fewer toe. Because Jesus says some amazing things about what life should look like lived in the light of the resurrection. If we are, in fact, going to be the body of Christ, that means something about how we deal with our enemies and our opposites and our irritants, I promise you I wrestle with the same things. It means something about what we do with our finances. 
It means something with what we do with skirmishes between us. It means something with what we do about this, this big deal called forgiveness. It means something all across the board. And if it doesn't mean something for you Monday through Saturday, then I'm not sure what you're doing on Sunday. In other words, if God, seen most clearly in the face of the resurrected Christ, has not yet shifted how you understand your resources of time and money and your talent. Welcome, you've got some work to do yet. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. Okay, back to this phrase. God's mind about you is made up and the news is good. You know, some of you love that phrase and some of you are faithful to write to me and tell me how much you appreciate that phrase. Other people leave our church because of that phrase. Here's why. They're saying, hang on a second. Then what is there to motivate us to behave better? If God's mind about us is made up and the news is good, I, I promise you, and these are sweet people that we still love, but one person said, listen, you don't often enough tell me I need to be afraid of hell and the devil, and I don't know how I'm going to be better if I'm not afraid. I believe that scripture testifies <laughs> That the resources for our transformation, all of us, but also each of us, the resources for our transformation are more often and more likely to be found in the grace of God than in the threat of God. Yes, I am saying grace, 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 grace. But you need to hear me. I am also saying that it matters how you live. It does matter how you live. You are not getting here licensed to do whatever your body wants you to do. You aren't. And I have had to be the guy <laughs> to say to people, this grace is not licensed for you to do whatever your body wants to do. Consequently, I have to weigh in here in your life. but God's mind about you was made up and the news is good. <laughs> and this grace, if you will allow it to do so, can be the reliable source of fuel for you to move toward Christ-likeness. God's deep belief in you, God's affinity for you, God's passionate love, God's willingness to chase you around, that is where the resources are for dramatic change in your life and our life together. More then threat. Please don't cheapen this grace by mistaking it for license. I'm not going to tell you something you don't already know probably about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but just in case you're not aware of this person, hear this. He's a pastor in Germany during the rise of the Third Reich. And he watched with horror as faith 
seem to be reduced to the realm of ideas. And he was the guy who was watching, again, in horror, as people were saying, yeah, we're not making the decisions that we need to make, but thankfully, God's forgiven us anyway. Bonhoeffer, pastor of a smallish congregation, was so frustrated by this that he started to write and write and write. This was a prolific writer. And one of the most uh, important works that we have in Gathered Up Christian History is The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, an incredible, incredible book. And if you allow me, I'm going to read us a couple of excerpts from The Cost of Discipleship and then tell you how his story ends before we come to the table. He says in this book, cheap grace means grace sold on the market like cheap wares. Man, I hope you're hearing me today. The sacraments, the forgiveness of sin, and the consolations of religion are thrown away at cut prices. Grace is represented as the church's inexhaustible treasury from which she showers blessings with generous hands without asking questions or fixing limits. Grace without price, grace without cost, the essence of grace, we suppose, is that the account has been paid in advance, and because it's been paid, everything can be had for nothing. Since the cost was infinite, the possibilities of using and spending it are also infinite. What would grace be if it were not cheap? Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Hear this, costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price, to buy which the merchant will sell all of his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ, for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Christ at which the disciples leave their nets and follow. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again, the gift which must be asked for at the door at which a man must knock. It's my favorite part. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus. It is costly because it costs a man his life, and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin, and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. You were bought at a price, and what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. We're about to move to communion, but I want to explain something about the way that we now do communion as opposed to how we used to do communion. We used to, once a quarter or so, hand out trays. And some churches still do this, and God bless them, right? I just want to explain to you the thinking that changed the way that we did things around here, that we do things around here. We used to hand out a shiny tray that had little sips and little bits, right? Each 
kind of separate out their own individual sip or bit. And there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just that I think there's something more right about what we decided to go to. Something that is more regular, more corporate, and more holistic, and more participatory. Here's what I mean. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand up, not just with your brain on a stick, <laughs> but with your whole body. I want to invite your whole body, representative of your entire life, to come down front with your hands cupped to receive bread. By the way, we're all having the bread that all of us can have. It's all kind of gluten-free because I want to reinforce this, that we're all a part of the same big loaf of bread. And I keep saying this to you. I hope someday you have so much communion bread that you understand yourself as the bread that is taken, blessed, broken, and given away. And so we all come down here and we take from this same common loaf of bread and this common cup. It's all poured out of this one container into all these other containers. So it's more corporate. It's more participatory. It's more holistic. And it's more regular. Here's why. <laughs> the power for my transformation the power for your transformation toward Christ-likeness is not going to be threat, it's going to be grace, whether you like it or not. And some of you do not like it. But there are more resources for transformation in grace than there are in threat. So when you come down here each week, you are hearing someone say to you, hopefully while they look you square in the eye, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And it's personal. Make you tear up. Then you dip that piece of bread into the cup and someone's gonna look you right in the eye and say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Now keep in mind, I will have already said, like I'm about to say, who's welcome at this table? Theology lesson. Wesleyans like us, we understand the table to be salvific. In other words, we think this is one of the means whereby you can be saved. Amen. Saved. Your participation here is part of the means whereby your life can be redeemed, which means you don't have to be fixed before you get here. This is part of the way that we move toward Christ likeness. Church, this is not the only point at which in the life of our church that we understand participation in the church to be salvific. What happens here is emblematic of what should happen throughout the building. So we come every week to be reminded this has more to do with God reaching to you than it does with you reaching to God. Now, you reaching to God is super important, but God reaches farther than you ever will. And this grace does more, moves you farther, reaches deeper than you could ever dream. And so we do it every week, in some sense, because your pastor needs it. 
the weekly reminder that I am moving more because of the winds of grace. Now I show up and I work hard and I do a lot of the walking, but I'm I'm never by myself. I show up here to be reminded that God's grace carries me farther than I can run. If you're helping us to set this table, go ahead and come on. This word of grace is not just to be heard, not just another piece of data that you would feed into your brain, the ultimate supercomputer. It is to be experienced. You are to waller around in it and be shaped by it. Father, bless these elements. And with these elements, God, do more than just inform us of more information. But God, bless these elements. Inhabit them so that somehow they can become another step in the process whereby we can be remade in your image. May we have some sense of the weight of this grace on our lives. May we have some sense of the responsibility that comes with this grace to respond in worthy sorts of ways. May we find in this grace the means of transformation toward Christ-likeness. So yes, in a second I'm gonna ask you to leave your pews and leave them to the left and then to come forward with your hands cupped, ready to receive this transformational grace that can move you farther than you ever imagined possible. As you approach someone with bread, that person will in fact snap off a piece of bread, place it into your hands and say to you, this is the body of Christ. This is your weekly reminder that Christ's body is broken for you. And take that piece of bread Dip it into the cup. Someone standing right there will be holding a cup. When you do, that person will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat. And then, if you would, find a place to pray. Now, you can circle all the way back around and pray right there in your seats. I hope, though, that you will pray. Please pray. And and pray something like this. God, oh, May I not be a hearer, but a doer of this word. Point out the ways in which I have been just a hearer and not a doer. Point out the ways in which I've been able to sift through and keep the things that I like and jettison the things that I don't like. Grow me to be a doer. If you come to one of these front kneeling benches, we won't assume anything, but we will at some point come and surround you and touch you on the back of the head or the back of the neck to remind you that God's grace is embodied, embodied. If you come to one of the side padded altars, we will assume that you are there for a prayer for healing and somebody really good at praying a prayer for healing will meet you there and anoint you with oil and remind you 
that God, by the Spirit, will be your companion. If you can't come to us, Jason and Katie will come to you. And let me remind you that you do not have to have this figured out or fixed in order to be a part of this ritual. In fact, here at Oklahoma City First, a church within the Church of the Nazarene, we believe that your participation here will move you to a better place, toward Christ-likeness. And so, no, you don't have to have it figured out. You just need to know that you need this grace. And if you know that you need this grace, you are today and every Sunday welcome here. You may want to make a special trip to dip your fingers into this water to be reminded of your baptism. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread. He blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat of it, each week, remember me. Later on, he took the cup and he held it up before them and he said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink of it, remember me. Each week, remember me. And now all across the sanctuary, if you would, stand to your feet, exit your pews to the left, and come forward with your hands cupped to receive these gifts of God meant for the people of God.